The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Okay, last week we looked at the end of Acts chapter 11 and the work of God in Antioch, gathering a church that was made up of Jews, God-fearers, and pagans. This collection, now a new people, for the first time called Christians. Barnabas visited and then went looking for Saul, or, or Saul in Tarsus, Paul, bringing him back to Antioch, where they taught this new church for, a, for an entire year, exhorting them, encouraging them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now, in chapter 12, Luke shifts our attention back to Jerusalem and um, tells us what's happening there. We already know some of what's happening there, this great need, uh, this famine that is prophesied, how the church in Antioch so beautifully responded in light of the gospel, in light of being transformed, a new people, recognizing these are their fellow Christians, these are their brothers and sisters in Christ, and so they give generously to them, which is a a good reminder to us, if we're ever faced with such a need, that that we also need to live with a steadfast purpose, Not not as just simply individual Christians, but as a united people that make up Christ's church. This morning, there are two encouragements in our text. One, that God is sovereign and that nothing is impossible for him. And that the the other, he hears us and answers our prayers. So my favorite topic, I think, the sovereignty of God and prayer. Before we read, um, let's pray together. Father, As we considered last week, we should not presume that our times will always be good or comfortable. We should not be surprised as right now our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are facing the kinds of persecution that we only read about in this early church. We should not be surprised because history tells us of both good and very, very hard times. So Lord, help us to not presume upon tomorrow as if we can control it, but to always trust in you. And help us to know that you are always sovereign. You are always in control and ordaining all that comes to pass. And that for the believer, we have your promise to be working all things for our good. So help us to believe in you and to trust in and desire the good that you define and you bring about in our lives. Lord, help us to pray, casting all our anxieties upon you, knowing that you are able and you care for us. We give thanks for your word, for the revelation of yourself and your work. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear and the ability to be doers of your word and not just hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, once again, if you're able, please stand. 
That sounded so negative, didn't it? This is positive, the word of God being read. Acts 12, verses 1 to 19. About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left them. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they, op- and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. This is God's word. Maybe seated. Isn't that incredible? Don't you love this passage? Uh, one quick thing. When Peter says, tell James, he's speaking of James, the brother of Jesus. He knows that uh, James, the brother of John, was executed. So he's thinking of James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the epistle of James, who really became a prominent leader in the church. And some think 
Peter goes into hiding, and it was kind of his way saying, okay, James is, he's the main guy. James, the brother of Jesus. So that, that's kind of interesting. But this is an incredible event. Uh, James, the brother of John, is beheaded. That's what it means by put to the sword, beheaded. And Peter's next. This is, it's James, the brother of John, who made up the tag team known as the Sons of Thunder. Peter, James, and John. You know, those three were were selected for a few things. They were primary leaders of the apostles, of the church. They were the ones selected by Jesus to join him on the Mount of Transfiguration, to pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus approached the cross. So the church, the church is devastated devastated that one of their leaders has been killed and that the other is about to be executed as well. But in the providence of God, because of Passover and the Jewish regulation that that no executions occur during this holy week, they don't have time to kill Peter. They throw him into jail and he's awaiting execution. He's He's not killed immediately. He's waiting in maximum security prison, probably an entire week. And now verse 6 tells us it's time. It's time. It's come to the end of the week. It's time for, for Herod to bring him out. It's the last night. It's the last opportunity. It's the night before his execution. God, God waits for the very last moment. By the way, here's a question. Why did God wait? You ever wonder? It's been going on for days. The church has been praying for days. No answer to their earnest prayers. And God waits. He waits for the very last moment to do what he was able to do all along. Why? You never ask that question, do you? Why, God? One answer is that there must be purpose in our suffering. A purpose that causes us like nothing else to look to him and to cry out, to to keep crying out to him for help. So God waits for the very last moment. And then he answers the prayers of the church and sends his angel to break Peter out of jail. Luke, he wants us to see the dire circumstances, James is executed. Peter's going to be executed. He wants us to see the terrible circumstances. And Luke wants us to see in biblical fashion, he's showing two sides of the battle that are going on here. The power and authority of King Herod Agrippa I, who is the grandson To Herod the Great, the one who tried to kill baby Jesus. He is the nephew of Herod Antipas, who was involved in in the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. Now Herod Agrippa, he's on the one side. And on the other side, God. And if we really think of it this way, there's no competition, is there? There's no competition at all. Herod doesn't stand a chance. And if it seems like the world wins at times, 
Biblical history shows us the big picture that God has his purposes and sometimes letting, letting them have their way for a time, but he overcame. We sang that earlier. He's victorious. We know that. He's on the throne. So God is able, but we don't often know what he's doing, what he's, what he's going to do, right? We don't often know what he's going to do, but we pray. We pray. So we pray, God is sovereign, and we need to remember this. And we pray, knowing that God hears us and will always do what's best. Herod Agrippa likely, he likely knew Peter's reputation. Remember, Peter had a jailbreak earlier. So he's doing everything. Luke's given us the details here. Herod's doing everything. Everything he can to make sure that the, this doesn't happen again. He assigns four squadrons to guard him 24 hours a day. Each squadron made up of four soldiers. They're, they're covering six-hour shifts until the next squadron can take over. They'd be alert. They guard him with the fear of knowing that if he escapes, it meant their own execution. So this is serious business. One soldier is chained to his left. Another is chained to his right. And two soldiers outside guarding the prison door. Maximum security. Impossible escape. Luke wants us to see the seriousness of the execution of James and the impossibility of an escape. He wants us to see that only God, only God is able to spare Peter's life. And so the church prays. And the rest of the story is hilarious, isn't it? And something that's both funny and wonderfully instructive to us is that Peter is sound asleep. Peter is sound asleep. Think about it. Could you sleep the night before your execution? How does Peter sleep? He knows that God is sovereign and that the church is praying. Peter, who would later write, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter knows the word of God that says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O oh, Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Or, as Pastor Dale would frequently say, either way, I'm golden. God is sovereign. And he hears our prayers. And he will always do what's best. Okay, but how does prayer really work? Do you ever wonder about this? How does prayer really work? Have you ever wondered about the sovereignty of God and prayer? 
that God ordains all that comes to pass. Every detail God ordains. He knows the future. He knows everything that will occur because he's, he's the author. He's the one who's written every detail into his story. That's what it means that he ordains. And yet, we pray. And a part of prayer is asking God for stuff. Asking God to change things. So in light of this, we might ask, does prayer actually work? Does prayer actually change our circumstances? And the quick answer should be yes, of course it does. We see it all the time in Scripture. We see it here in our text as the church prays and Peter is miraculously spared. We see it, we see it in our own lives, prayer of protection and rescue and healing where God graciously steps into our experience and he intervenes on our behalf. Yes, prayer works. Yes, prayer changes our circumstances. But, but we also know not always, right? We don't always get what we pray for. Sometimes the answer to our prayer is no. God even told the apostle Paul who prayed for relief of whatever that thorn in the flesh was, he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He has his purposes in yeses or nos. So yes, prayer works. It does change our circumstances, but no, prayer does not change the mind of God. Bit of a mystery there, isn't it? Yes, prayer changes our circumstances, but no, it doesn't change the mind of God. God is sovereign. And in this case, he sovereignly chose James to die and Peter to be rescued. It's a mystery to us, but either way, James and Peter, they're both golden, right? Prayer and the sovereignty of God, it can be confusing But it's important for us to remember that God uses means, remember we talked about this last week, God uses means to accomplish his will. Remember, he could have just chosen to save you by zapping us. Remember, that's a deep theological word. He could have, he chose you before the foundations of the earth. He could have just zapped you. But instead, he sovereignly chose to work through the means of people with beautiful feet bringing the good news, people sharing the gospel. God uses the means of our words to accomplish salvation in those whom he chose before the foundation of the world. God is sovereign, and he sovereignly works through us. Prayer it works the same way. Prayer works the same way. The power is not in us, but God uses our words. He uses our prayers to then work and do what he had already ordained would occur. And that blows our minds. In fact, he not not only ordained that Peter would be set free, but he ordained that the church would pray for this. 
and then use that means to set him free. Prayer's tricky, isn't it? It's tricky because if there's no efficacy whatsoever, if it didn't really change anything, then why bother, honestly? If prayer actually didn't change anything, we could have that attitude, well, what difference does it make? Why bother? At least that aspect of prayer and asking God for change. And think of the other side of this. If prayer actually did change the mind of God, getting him to do what we think is best, then we're fools to pray. You should never pray. You should never, ever want that. You'd be a fool because why on earth would you trust your own limited knowledge and wisdom and discernment? Wouldn't it be wise to realize that God knows everything perfectly and that in his perfect wisdom he knows how best to work with the billions upon billions of related details to each circumstance? You don't know, but God knows. And let's remember, God is love. He proved it by sending his son to die on the cross for us. He's promised his love to us. So why would we ever want to change his mind? Really? Why would you want to change God's mind? Perfect in wisdom and love and knowledge. I don't want to change his mind. How foolish and arrogant would that be? And yet, we pray. We're told to pray. We pray knowing that that God wants to hear from us, that he cares for us, that he loves us, and he knows that this relationship of prayer doesn't change his mind, but thankfully it changes ours. It's a wonderful thing about prayer. It doesn't change God's mind, but it changes our minds. It changes our attitudes. It changes our hearts. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things, all things. Yes, even prison breaks and sick children, and struggling marriages, and financial hardship, all things. So, that Peter is sleeping means that he's resting in the sovereign care of God. But this is also, it's hilarious because we can imagine the angel showing up for the great escape He shines this light, right? He shines a light, and what do angel lights tend to do? They tend to startle people, but nothing happens. Peter's still snoring away. And we might imagine, okay, did the angel nudge him a little? Psst, time to get up. Wakey, wakey, let's go. Nothing. And then verse 7 says that the angel struck Peter on the side. Okay, the Greek describes this word 
as a push or a light tap. But I don't know. Struck seems like a funny way of saying that. Like, oh, mom, I just barely tapped him. No, he didn't. He struck me. The angel, the angel does everything here. He finally wakes Peter up. He picks the locks. He tells him to get dressed. Oh, don't forget your shoes. You better wrap yourself with your cloak. It's cold outside. He tells him to uh, follow him. Um, Puts the guards to sleep with a Jedi move. Opens the gate and leads him out into the street. And all along it says that Peter didn't even know that any of this was real. He thought he was dreaming or seeing a vision. He's absolutely no help whatsoever, just like our salvation. We're absolutely no help whatsoever. We contribute nothing. It's not 99% God and 1% us. It's all God. And concerning his own salvation, his own conversion. This is what Charles Wesley thought when he wrote the great hymn, And Can It Be? He's thinking of this event. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth. And followed thee. Many of the Bible's miracles speak to the spiritual realities in our lives. We're described as prisoners to sin, condemned to die an infinitely worse death than any physical execution, and God rescues us. It's all Him. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And after Peter finally woke up and realized that it wasn't a dream or a vision, finding himself alone on the street in the middle of the night, he says, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now I'm sure, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, rescued by the angel of the Lord, just like Daniel with the angel shutting the mouths of the lions, just like David who wrote, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And as Moses prayed, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. We, we prepare for hard times, knowing and believing that God is sovereign and he is worthy of our trust and by praying, praying to a sovereign God. So there's Peter, all by himself out in the the middle of the street in the darkness of night. All of Jerusalem is sleeping, everyone Everyone but the church, that is. Oh, and the last, they just keep coming. Verse 12 tells us that he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. John Mark, who will later go with Paul on a missionary journey, gets fired, then works with Peter 
as an aide and writes the Gospel of Mark. The church is too large to meet in one building, and also because of the persecution going on, they weren't meeting in the temple square anymore, so they met in private homes, large homes, homes owned by wealthy believers, and this was one of them. Some even think that this, the home of Mary, was the upper room where the disciples met during Pentecost. So, so it's a well-known location for the church. And Peter, he goes knowing this is where they're going to be. This is where they're going to be praying for him. Again, how do we prepare for hard times? We must know that God is sovereign. And we must be a church that prays. Prayer has always been at the heart of our faith and our worship. At the birth of the Christian church, immediately after Pentecost, we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking of bread and the prayers. Gathering as a church was about teaching, fellowship, and prayer. When we think of coming to church and worshiping God, what comes to mind? We, we probably think, well, we'll sing some songs and then we'll hear a sermon. But what we should learn from the early church is that a primary reason for us to gather is to pray. Yes, we can, we can pray as individuals, and they probably did too, But what's the emphasis concerning the church? That they pray together. We pray together. When one of the elders is leading leading us in a prayer, it's not just them, it's us. We're all meant to agree in prayer as God's church. As we go through the book of Acts, something to notice is that prayer is central to their church meetings. In the future, I'd like, to, I'd like to think of ways for us as a church to have prayer meetings. It's always been a challenge. We, we rent. We only have access to this facility on a Sunday morning. So how are we going to do a prayer meeting? We're talking about it. It's important. I think it's important for us to do that. We need to gather. I mean, yes, we gather in worship, and you ought to be you got to be engaged with those prayers. I'm praying with, I'm pray, we're praying as a body. But wouldn't it be great to, to gather and have a time of prayer? Different people praying. I think it'd be great. Sadly, most say that's one of the least attended services for churches who are able to do that. But, It's biblical. It's a part of the church's history. And if we ever face hard times, truly, if we ever face hard times, coming together to pray is going to be really important, don't you think? And so we should be in the habit of it now before, if anything difficult comes around. Charles Spurgeon said, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general until the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. All throughout the New Testament, 
the church is encouraged to be united, of one mind. And so praying together, it's an important way for us to grow in that, that kind of unity. Okay, so the church was praying for Peter. And it's not that they... There's some funny things that we think of with prayer. It's not as if they were gathered praying for Peter, believing that, you know, if we get more prayers, more people praying that can tip the scales in order to get God to move. Sometimes we think that way, but that's not how prayer works. Have you ever thought that, that, that okay, one person praying, that's less effective in getting what we want than if 10 people pray? Or that ongoing prayer, covering many hours or days is more effective than a five-minute prayer, as if God wasn't paying attention. So we need to We need to send lots of prayers over a long period of time, making sure that he hears us. He hears us. Prayer is mysterious. Okay, no. God knows what we want before we even ask. And yet, Scripture also encourages us to be persistent, to keep praying. So, then, why did they gather to pray? It's what the church does. A great value of prayer is that it, it changes us. Not that God doesn't use our prayers as a means to change circumstances. He does, but prayer, it conforms our hearts to him. Prayer reminds us that he is sovereign, that he is able to do all things, that he is worthy of our trust, that he loves us and will always do what's best for us whether the answer is a yes or a no. Jesus, Jesus wants his people to be one. He prayed this before going to the cross that that we may be one as he is one with the Father. This is the will of our Savior. Prayer, prayer is personal and individual, but it's also a part of our worship as Christ's church. Praying together causes us to grow in unity as a body, as a family. Another feature of the church gathering to pray for Peter is that that they prayed earnestly. Notice that Peter is rescued in the middle of the night when all of Jerusalem is sleeping. The Christians, the Christians were still in the middle of the night gathered to pray. It was earnest. I suppose when the circumstances are dire, if we were experiencing persecution, there'd be this kind of earnestness in our praying together. This kind of, this kind of unity that we see in, this, in our text. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful that they would love Peter so much that they would come together, not just stay as individuals, but, but come together Weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who, together, to pray. Peter was in prison for days. And so the church gathered for days, praying around the clock. Okay, again, I think Luke wants to see there's, there's two sides to the battle. And just as those who guarded Peter had various squadrons covering different periods of 
time throughout the day and night. So the church probably took turns with its various squadron of prayer warriors throughout the day and night. Peter gets there in the middle of the night and, and they're praying. And please forgive me for stating the obvious, but let's not forget that it's, God, it's to God that we pray. We're praying to God. Sadly, we do forget what a great privilege it is to pray. God does not hear the prayers of unbelievers unless it's a prayer of repentance and faith. We have, we've been given this amazing gift in prayer. The curtain has been torn and Jesus is our high priest who opened the way for us to come boldly to the throne room of God. We're not praying to be heard by people. That is, we're not praying to impress anyone. We pray together as a matter of our unity. And in that unity, we pray to our sovereign God. In his book, The Power of Prayer, R.A. Torrey wrote this. He said, the day came when I realized what real prayer meant. That prayer was having an audience with God actually coming into the presence of God and asking and getting things from him. The realization of that fact transformed my prayer life. Before that, prayer had been a mere duty and sometimes a very irksome duty. But from that time on, prayer has been not merely a dusty or a duty, but a privilege, one of the most highest, highly esteemed privileges of life. Before that, the thought that I had was, how much time must I spend in prayer? The thought that now possesses me is, how much time may I spend in prayer without neglecting the other privileges and duties of life? Becoming a people of prayer, following the example of these saints who prayed for Peter, means that we should pray together that we should pray earnestly, keeping in mind that it's God, our sovereign Lord, to whom we pray. And lastly, we should should pray specifically. Verse 5 tells us that the church prayed earnestly for Peter. Peter was in prison, about to be executed, and their prayers, they were specific. They were for him. Yes, asking is just one part of praying, but it's an important part. And James tells us that the reason that we do not have is because we do not ask. But the irony of this story is that even though they were united and earnest and specific in their prayers to God, they didn't seem to believe. (laughs) Do you notice that? It's interesting. They didn't seem to believe. The answer the answer to their prayers actually came knocking on the door. And it seems like they were irritated that their prayer meeting was being interrupted. As if everyone was thinking, as Peter's banging on the gate, well, I'm not getting the door, I'm praying. Eventually a servant girl named Rhoda goes and recognizes that it's Peter And she's so excited that she forgets to open the door and let him in. She runs back to tell everyone, 
Hey, your prayers have been answered. Peter's here. And what's the response? Ah, you're crazy. How could Peter be at the door? Duh, he's in prison. That's why we're here praying. In our specific praying, we need to ask, believing that God is able. Yes, sometimes the answer is no, but sometimes it's a yes. And when it's a yes, we should recognize it. We should thank God. We should praise him for what he's done. Okay, you Sunday school teachers or anyone who, or parents, I never want you to underestimate that something you teach, no matter how silly it is, it might stick in the mind of a person for the rest of their lives. This is what happened to me when I was in junior high Sunday school class. It was a black and white cartoon drawing on an overhead projector, kids. Uh, you can ask your parents or maybe your grandparents what an overhead projector is later on. It was only two transparent plastic sheets. The first one showed a person driving their car on a busy street lined with parked cars, no open spaces. And in this slide, this image, there's the speech bubble of the person, this person's praying, Lord, Please help me to find a parking place. The next slide shows him turning the corner with, a, with an open parking space. And the bubble says, oh, never mind, Lord, I found one. <laughs> if we ask God for something specific, we need to believe. We need to know that God is sovereign and that nothing is impossible for him. And when he answers our prayers, we need to give him thanks and praise. Don't be afraid to be specific in your prayers. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid to ask for the miraculous. Ask God for a miracle. Ask him for a healing. Because after all, he's God. He's the one who created everything from nothing. He's the one who spoke and everything came into existence. He is the one who parted the waters and raised the dead. Yes, miracles are rare. We can't expect them, but we should ask for them. Yes, they're rare. Yes, he, he works in many different ways nowadays. But yes, he is sovereign over all things. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there's no reason for us not to believe. I find a healthy way to pray is to ask for that, that miracle, ask for that healing, but to also pray, and God, I know that, I know that you're able. I know that, that you are good and that you withhold no good thing from your people. I, I trust you if the answer is no. I trust that even in the no, that you'll do what's best. So whether it's a 
healing or showing your grace to be sufficient. Lord, please strengthen our faith in you. God is sovereign. At the last moment, he rescues Peter from maximum security prison, an impossible jailbreak. Ask. Nothing is impossible for him. He is able, and his answers are always right. They're always intended for our good. I don't know if we're ever going to see a day of hard times like these early Christians faced But we need to be ready. We need to prepare. I want us as a church to prepare by knowing and trusting in our sovereign God that nothing is too difficult for him. He is with us in every storm. He promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. The power and might of King Herod It could not stand against the prayers of God's people. So we trust in him. And we grow in this trust, this faith, by being united in prayer and believing in him. Let's pray together. Almighty God, everlasting Father, O Lord, how can it be that we might be called children of God? And so we are. And that you have so graciously made a way for us to come to you and speak to you, casting all our anxieties upon you. Lord, cause us to love, cause us to love coming to you in prayer. Not only in our private times of devotion, but as your church. Lord, help us to see the great value of praying together as the church prayed for Peter. Lord God, please unite us in and through this gift of prayer. And as we pray, please grant an assurance to us that you are truly Lord, that you are sovereign over all things, that no enemy is to be feared, but you alone are to be feared. You alone are our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of need. So, Sovereign Lord, grow us in this way. Make us a united body of Christ that loves and trusts in you and as a result is a witness to the gospel of Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen.